check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Welcome back to Triple R Teaching. Anna Geiger here from The Measured Mom. This week is a continuation of last week's episode in which I talked with Martha Kovac. Last week, we talked about developmental language disorder, and this week we're talking about how teachers can build oral language fluency routines into their school day and how those routines can help all students, including those with DLD. I know in your presentation you gave for the Dyslexia Association, you talked about some specific classroom routines that would build oral language. Can you talk a little bit about those? One, build knowledge. So knowledge, uh, we're, we're always trying to, as you said, reading comprehension is very comprehensive. And so you cannot, Hugh Katz tells us that you cannot measure or remediate or teach comprehension. You, you, you can only bring about the conditions that will allow children to understand. And so one of the first things we want to do in terms of routines is build knowledge. With balanced literacy, I might do like a language experience chart. Remember those? So then, mm-hmm. so then I would just have my uh, chart paper and I would write a little like what we did. You know, I used to write what, what field trip we went on, who's in our family, what we did on the weekend, you know, maybe a little fun poem, children's interests. And maybe I'd talk about, you know, who can find the C, who can find the comma, who can find the period. And and it it wasn't very a rich experience, but it was okay. But now I will will do the same balanced literacy type of activity, like a language experience poem or chart, but I will base it off of the knowledge that we're learning in our science and social studies. Mm -hmm. So for example, if we're learning about water and the three states of water, I might do a poem on my language experience chart that goes something like, Uh, This is by Amy Ludwig. I just found it online. Water is clearly a mystery to me. A solid, a liquid, a gas. It's all three. Freeze it, warm it, boil it. You'll see. Water is clearly a mystery to me. So that's an example of how my practice would change. You're going to have your poems and the things that you're reading as a large group together, not just for the purpose of decoding and learning about how to read those words, but for knowledge. So that's Mm -hmm. number one, right? You're going to build knowledge and you're gonna build, choose the reading passages built off knowledge. The thing about knowledge is it has to, like a snowball, it has to build year upon year upon year. What I love about core knowledge is, and and some other programs do this too, and I bet you we're gonna have a lot more. In kindergarten, they learn about the five senses. In grade one, we're gonna learn about human body systems. In grade two, we're gonna learn about human cells and digestion. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we're getting more complex. So by the time they get to grade nine, that knowledge has been built instead Mm -hmm. of just haphazard knowledge about many different things. And then they, knowledge doesn't work that way. So comprehension depends on what we know. Anything we go to write, if we want our students to write, I, in balanced literacy, I would have them write about their pets and their siblings and their Mm -hmm. trips and their summer holidays. And that's not building knowledge. And that doesn't give them a whole lot to write about. So what I've learned is that we need to get right in there and give them more deep knowledge consistently because then they're going to have more to write about. They're going to have far more vocabulary to use. Their, Their writing is going to be richer. And so, so so does that all make sense? It does. And I would just like to say something quick. I remember, so I went to a a, a conference years ago. So it was probably early 2000s when I was a teacher. And 
they had uh, language experience charts, like what you're talking about, that you would write with your students. And then she had, she recommended having this long calculator tape, like we used to have, taped to the wall next to it. And that's where you yeah. would, that's where you would list all the things that you taught. So for them, the purpose of doing this language experience thing was to have an opportunity to teach the skills we knew they needed, but we didn't want to drill. So that was the place to teach phonics and the place to teach, you know, um, punctuation and things like that. But that was kind of one of the only places. So I think what you're telling us is that the activity itself is valuable, but we have to think about what the point of it is. So it's not this, you can certainly draw attention to those things, but this is not explicit instruction in sound spelling correspondences, but it is teaching knowledge, which is important for oral language. Right. That is a huge difference. It's the biggest difference really. And, and so when I do, my point number two is I do reinforce spelling, grammar, and punctuation with the language experience charts. Mm -hmm. However, I let those students know, oh, I haven't taught you this yet. Mm -hmm. That's what I say all the time. Oh, I haven't taught you this yet. But when we see this dash, it means that the author is going to tell us more. Mm -hmm. Or I haven't taught you this yet, but the double E together says E. And I'm just really honest with children. This is why I'm doing this with you. This is why I'm having you trace letters. This is where we tap the sounds and then say the letter names and then write in our words, right? Our five to 10 words in our books. And this is why we write sentences. Now we're over here. We're learning about water. Like, like I, I make it very clear that there's a place for learning how to read and write this mm -hmm. and that I'm going to get there and we're going to learn how to do it all. But if you don't know how to read this, that's okay. Mm -hmm. And you're not supposed to know how to read this yet because I haven't taught you all how to spell water. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, and, and if you, if you know how to do it, that's okay too. <laughs> so it's really to me about honesty with the yes. and what I do with language, right? Just be honest with them. I appreciate that yeah. so much. Just today I did a, I did a little reel on Instagram about the problem with the early guided reading books, level A and B, because, um, when I'd use them initially as a balancer, as a teacher, you know, when I taught them to use the pattern in the context, I told them they were reading, told them that's what they were doing. And I talked about in the real, how that's, we're really giving them the, an illusion of reading. And we're, we're really not, I didn't say this there, but it's, it is dishonest and it's confusing. And for them to think that's what reading is, they're going to think that, well, to read, I need the teacher to teach me the pattern. I need the picture to help me. I only have to use the first letter of a word. But like you said, to use that chart and say, I haven't taught all this to you yet. And that's fine. I think it's also great because some of the kids will actually be able to read that and to have that opportunity for everyone is great. I think sometimes we get afraid of showing something they haven't seen. I remember when I, I did have to use a very structured phonics program one year of teaching and the directions, they wouldn't put directions on the phonics worksheets because they said the kids might see patterns that they haven't been taught, which was a, a little bit silly because the same program made our math worksheets, which had the directions on them. But um, yeah, it was so silly. It's still logical. And it's obviously not that we're going to blindfold our students as they go through life, you know, pr protecting them from any exposure, um, but just understanding that we teach that over here and we apply as much as we know over here. Beautifully said, you know? So now that brings us to fluency. Mm -hmm. So this is what the language experience chart is going to be for, is perfect for. And um, so Tim Rosinski is all about fluency. <laughs> He's just, that's his whole shtick and he has this thing called fluency fridays and mm -hmm. so this is where you would have a poem and again it would be like a water poem right and so on monday 
you would read the poem because again you haven't taught them everything or it could be in grade one or kindergarten like you might grade one you might be doing a nursery rhyme something really simple really familiar so on monday you're going to introduce it and you read it and you know model the fluency and reread it and on tuesday you're going to all read it together and you know you model for the children how to read and then they copy you on wednesday they're actually going to get that poem in their hands in, you know in large print and they're all going to get copies and go into small groups and read that poem together as a small group and you're going to be again very clear with the children i haven't taught you how to read all these words yet it's okay if you don't know them but it's also okay if you you know memorize them and read along with your group that's okay and then on thursday we're going to have a, a rehearsal where we're all up at the front of the room getting ready for the friday uh, performance and so then on friday you're going to invite the principal to listen to your poem or invite some parents in to listen and that's it, it it's very short it's it doesn't have to take up a lot of your day but it does give children a sense of what reading is supposed to sound like Here's my favorite thing. You have to go on to YouTube and look up um, Tim Rosinski's, I think it's called The Fluent Reader Part 2. Yeah, that's what it's called, The Fluent Reader Part 2. I loved this because there was an example of um, the students were learning about the food chain. And so what they did was they came up with a much more engaging way to talk about the food chain. And they wrote poems. Now, this was a junior grade, so they were capable, more capable of this. But the students on the right, on the left, were in the competition group. And so, and then the students on the right were in the symbio symbiosis group. So the students on the left were reading with the tone and body language that was tough and loud and strong. And they had all these facial expressions and they were reading with this beautiful um, expression. And the students on the right were all soft and smiling and reading with the more flow. And it was just a perfect example of how you would do fluency with students who who maybe who do struggle with the decoding piece but that's a separate issue right they absolutely shone when it came to being able to perform and uh he talks a lot about using the science in artful ways and i just thought that that was a perfect example so i'm gonna play devil's advocate here because i know this is such a a sticky, difficult topic in science of reading circles. And I, I know I have a lot of people that ask me to create decodable partner plays. I've tried. Um, as of this recording, I have not released any because I have a hard time making them interesting. <laughs> and I feel like if you're going to be doing something and performing it and there's no pictures, it's got to be able to tell a story and it's got to be interesting. And I just really struggling to get that figured out for a limited number of words. However, um, I get where people are coming from because we know, you know, Jan Hasbrook talks about fluency being automaticity. So are we just, are we creating the illusion of fluency when we have kids quote, read these texts? Because if they can't read the words in isolation, we would maybe say they're not actually reading. Um, or are we just, are we saying that what we're doing here is teaching an element of fluency? like, you know, the element of reading in phrase, of speaking in phrases. Is this more of an oral language versus a reading activity? You know, how would you explain that? Yes, I would say balanced literacy uh, versus what I know now is that my fluency is more of an oral language, um, knowledge, vocabulary, and, you know, bringing the art into it. It's It's so much more, whereas fluency was before was just so that they could make sure their voice goes down at the period 
make sure their voice goes up at a comma, right? It was just, it was, it was really about how fast they could read. And um, Tim Rosinski calls this fake fluency, but I would also say, yeah, I can see your point that some people would say that it's fake fluency to just memorize. But again, it just boils down to awareness. It's okay to provide text that's more difficult so that it flows, so that it makes sense, so that it's engaging. The caveat is they have to be getting good quality decoding instruction over here where they're getting 95% success and they're moving along tickety-boo and they're going through the short vowels and the, and the, you know, the long vowels and they're, and they're moving through all the syllable structure and they're, they're, if they're getting that, then you can morph the two together. But if they're not getting that, of course it's going to be like fake fluency. More devil's advocate. So someone could say, okay, you're teaching phonics over here, but then to say over here, we're doing something different. That sounds to me like, you know, old balance letters, see where it was. I'm teaching you phonics, but now I'm going to give you these leveled books where you can't really use it. How would you respond to that? Teaching reading is more than teaching phonics adequately Mm -hmm. that I would go back to oral language. How about this? How about it helps children with a sense of belonging? I think the difference still is the awareness that we didn't have before about how decoding can be taught so much more effectively and efficiently. That was, that was, that was non-existent. And then you match that with the memorizing and the three queuing system. That's a disaster. That's harmful. I think awareness is the only answer here. You have to be a, a very aware teacher with lots of knowledge about decoding and then, you know, like yourself, you can build these reading passages that have more to do with fluency and oral language and knowledge based on knowledge, right? Learning about knowledge. I don't know. I, I, I don't think there's an easy answer to that. Yeah, it is. It is such a complicated thing to work through. I think it's, it's very hard because we don't want to make the same mistakes we used to make where we thought that these um, fluency exercises were actually teaching decoding. They can support decoding, but they're not the explicit instruction that students need. And yet at the same time, like you said, we don't have to be afraid to tell them something we haven't taught. Some kids will get it when you just tell it to them that one time. I I did a podcast episode a while back with Dr. Chase Young about Reader's Theater, and he had a routine that he does with his second grade. And the first day, I can't remember what it was exactly, but I think the first day was you read it to them. The second day, they read it in groups, and he is moving around. And if they can't read a word, they circle it, and he comes there and explains this is how you sound out this word. Like he teaches it to them. It's not, it's not guessing. He will help. Now, can all of them read all those words in isolation? No. Um, and so that's where we get a little uncomfortable a little bit trying to figure out exactly where this fits. But I think learning more about the research about Reader's Theater, how that's successful with kids of all different levels and how it actually does improve comprehension and decoding, even though it's above their independent level, I think it's really important to remember we're scaffolding. This is not independent work. So that's something else to keep in mind. But for me still, I'm still struggling in terms of understanding exactly how it fits in K-1-2. But thank you. This has given me a lot to think about. And I'm going to look into some resources that you share with me later so I can learn more about it. I think this tension between decodable and non-decodable text is hard to understand exactly how it all fits. But I think we can know that um, research does not say the only text they should have access to is decodable. It doesn't actually say it. We don't have anything to, right. to verify that. So we need to remember the purpose of decodable, and that is the primary teaching tool. But think about other things with teacher support is 
we need to keep thinking about that and figuring out how it all fits. I would love for you to talk a little bit about what you're doing now and what you what you share. I know you've got uh, your website and then some things that you sell. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, so those card games I made back in the nineteen in the late nineties are still around, still kicking around. I tried to shut it down, but the teachers kept asking and asking for them, <laughs> so I made them again. At soundreaders.com, you can find out about that there. The other thing I have is letsgetreadingright.com. I really like this website because it's just a place where I put everything that I've ever known or all of my favorite things I put into this website, letsgetreadingright.com. And so there are, I do some blogs, there's a resources page. And now that resources page, you have to be on your, unfortunately, your laptop or desktop. But if you click there, I have decodable suggestions and um, you're on there, Anna, <laughs> and um, I've got lots of resources available there. And one of my favorite things on there right now is if you go to reading programs and you scroll down, you will see a, a video by Matt Burns who talks about partner reading. Yes. Now this is also really great. And then Lindsay Kameny does a video with Patan yes. and she explains, have you seen it? Yes. I was just talking oh. to some, some teachers about both of those videos this morning. They're amazing. Oh, well, they're right there. If you want links to them, if you go under resources on let's get reading right program, the, the two links are there. I just love them because Lindsay Kameny shows us how to do it. Yeah. And they're finding a lot of success with partner reading, even with text that's not decodable. Mm -hmm. So we just, we just got to make sure we're getting decoding right. Yeah. And, um, and then we can, you know, just keep open-minded and, you know, reduce the tension. Like, I don't feel any tension here with you, even though we don't know what's exactly the right answer, but, but these are the conversations that need to continue. Well, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to um, sharing links to your website and your products, as well as any articles that we talk about after I turn the, turn the recording off about anything that we can share to help people dig deeper into this themselves. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I, thank I, I'm you. a big fan of everything you do, Anna, and, uh, and uh, it's such a pleasure to, to speak with you today. Thank you. Pleasure was mine. Well, I hope this episode has given you a lot to think about. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can leave them in the show notes where you'll find links to the things we discussed today at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 113. Talk to you next time. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.